in this dream, we have fleshy animal bodies, subtle nervous systems, and active, creative brains. In this dream, we have been conditioned to believe things about ourselves, others, and the world that aren't true, but kept us safe when we didn't know what else to do. In this dream, we have experienced traumas and challenges that have hardened parts of us while at the same time making us more resilient. In this dream, we are tenderized by the immensity of love that we are just learning to receive. In this dream, we live on the earth with its unstable weather and unpredictable people. In this dream, many, many are suffering because they have forgotten who they really are. In this dream, you are a stone woman finding your legs and learning to dance. You are a wooden man discovering your voice and starting to sing. What has been wounded in you or broken is rising up to be healed. What has been lost or forgotten is slowly coming back to life. In this dream, you keep getting glimpses of your true nature as if you were being courted by a new lover. You are curious, attentive, shy, and sometimes filled with trepidation, longing, and doubt. In this dream, you are made of earth and sky. You are fierce and tender. You are whole in and of yourself, and you are part of this great web of living. You are welcomed by the Buddhas and ancestors, by the spirit guides and animal protectors, by the great fern and noble fir, the golden-crowned kinglet, and the howling coyote. In this dream, you let the universe hold you, you offer up your doubts and confusions to the night sky, the crescent moon, the miracle of your becoming. In this dream, a vow emerges in your heart. It is quiet, but persistent. You don't know where it came from or if anyone else hears it, but you decide to keep it close and nurture it. It is a new dream, a dream of awakening that you trust will guide you through this life. 
So what dreams have you been dreaming this new day of session? Since the past is a dream, ungraspable in its nature, and the future is a dream, totally made up in our minds, the dream of Sashin is only now beginning. How many hours, days, lifetimes have we been sitting in this room together? Letting the universe breathe our soft, at times fearful bodies and allowing the tender caress of the air to call us back home. It's an honor to practice with each of you, the unfolding of each person's process is so beautiful. I hope you're seeing that too. The beauty, the beauty in meeting yourself and all that you contain. So I want to go back to what we were exploring yesterday in the Dharma talk of awakening awareness and continue to explore this dream analogy. And today I'd like to share the words of the non-duality teacher, Rupert Spira. So we'll receive his teaching and do an experiential that I adapted. So this is a question and answer from one of his retreats where someone is asking the question, is this a dream? And Rupert guides them into an exploration. So it starts, when we wake up from a dream, so this is a nighttime dream, when we wake up from a nighttime dream or a naptime dream, we understand that we were not a self in the dream, but rather that the entire dream took place in us. Sometimes we realize that, right? Sometimes we're like, oh my gosh, what was happening to me in that dream? But right, we wake up and the dream is gone. And we know, oh, that happened. Like, I was dreaming that, that happened in my mind, in consciousness. And then he says, when we wake up from the dream of everyday life, we discover that awareness is not in the body, but that the entire body, mind, and world are in awareness. So then he says, imagine that you're having a dream now. And let's, let's try this on. So imagine that you're having a dream now. And in your dream, you are dreaming this current experience. So in your dream, you are sitting in your place in the zendo with your hands exactly the way they are right now. So notice, notice where your hands are right now. And in your dream, you feel like I, and then you can say your name in your head, I, Kisei, am located in and as this body, sitting in this place with my hands this way. So you can say that to yourself. I, say your name, 
I'm located in and as this body, which is usually how we feel, sitting in this place with my hands this way. And that everybody else is at various distances from myself, made out of something other than myself. So it's usually what we think. I am here, made up of whatever I'm made up of, and you are there, made up of whatever you're made up of, but it's not what I'm made up of. Or at least it's not me. (laughs) Then he says, now wake up. Wake up. Which means you cease being this entity inside your body. And you know yourself as awareness. Just feel into that. Imagine that's completely possible for you to do. You know yourself as awareness. So instead of waking up into the waking state, you wake up into awareness. Now you look back on your dream in which you thought that I was located in my body, sitting here with my hands like this. But you realize that actually all the people in the room, the windows, the floor, the lights, the space, the walls, it is equally made out of you because you are awareness. So your body, all the other bodies, the floor, the haishiki, the cushions, the camera, people at home, you have to do this with your own space. The windows, the outside of the windows, all of this is you, is you are awareness. And it's made out of you. It wasn't just that the dream you was you, the you that's sitting here with your hands like this, but it was all made out of you. This, that is awareness's point of view all of the time. Awareness is the dreamer of this waking state dream. So then the questioner asks, this is a metaphor, right? You're just using a metaphor. This isn't literally true. And Rupert says, no, it is literally true (laughs) that awareness is the dreamer of this waking state dream. And if you want to be liberated, he doesn't say this, you can take the perspective that you are awareness. If you want to remain a suffering sentient being, you can take the perspective that I am in here and you are all separate from me and awareness is not who we are. That was me. (laughs) Rupert says, (laughs) but I am using the metaphor. I'm using dream language to try to relate it to our actual experience to show that it's not such a strange idea. It's actually what happens every night. We have a dream in which the belief that we are located in and as a body is no less real than it is in the waking state. So we often have that, right? We are an entity in our dreams. In dream work, we call it the dream ego. And sometimes we have the body that we have in waking state. Sometimes we don't have a body. Sometimes we have another different body. But we often take a perspective of I am this entity in the dream. And there are all these other entities or forms in the dream that are not me. But then when we wake up, we realize, oh, it was all made out of awareness. Or we 
can realize that. Yeah, so he says, yeah, when we wake up from the dream, we think, how silly. I wasn't the body of that dream ego. I was the entirety of my dream. So you can start to say that when you wake up for, from a dream, and this is training us to recognize um, how awareness functions. So you can say every morning when you wake up and you're waking out of a dream, and especially if the dream had a lot of charge to it and you really did feel like it was me, you can say, how silly. I wasn't the body of that dream ego. I was the entirety of the dream, including the nightmarish figure, including that beautiful lion, including the rainbow. It was the entirety of my dream. So this happens every time we have a dream. So when we wake up, relatively speaking, we wake up into the waking state of mind. So now we're waking up from the waking state of mind into awareness. So that's what his, um, this is a little bit different than what I was teaching yesterday. He's, he's making these two distinctions. We wake up from the dream into the waking state of mind, which is the waking dream. And then we can wake up from the waking dream into awareness. And that's another waking up. Awareness is in relation to the waking state. This is back to Rupert in exactly the same way that the waking state is in relation to the dream state. And it's clear that awareness isn't located anywhere. So that was the questioner again. Kind of making a statement kind of question. And Rupert um, repeats that. Yes, it's clear that awareness isn't located anywhere. Just as the real you was not located in the sitting spot where you are sitting as the dream you in your waking dream, from the point of view of the waking state, you weren't really located in that body-mind. So we wake up out of the illusion of the dream state, but but we fall immediately into the illusion of the waking state. And now we're waking from the illusion of the waking state into the reality of awareness. So there's just another way of exploring this dream analogy that we've been exploring. So I love the part where he says, now wake up into awareness. Now wake up and recognize that you are awareness. And all of this is happening inside of you. We can practice that perspective shift. And that's another way of familiarizing ourselves with awareness, with awakened awareness. We practice it. We don't just like wait for ourselves to get bonked over the head and then we realize it, but we can practice it. He's pointing something out. This is a little different than um, traditional Zen, but we, we do a lot more pointing out now than when I first started practicing here. So he's pointing out that we can take the perspective of awareness and we can see. So you can do this when you enter a room. You can notice that you're used to locating yourself in your body, thinking your thoughts, feeling your body moving, feeling your body, which is great. We want to keep doing that. But also noticing that even your body is arising in awareness. 
And the whole room that you just walked into is arising in awareness and is you. So your body is still you. And so is everyone else from the perspective of awareness. So we're just playing with taking that perspective. You won't suddenly start going to the bathroom as me you. Don't worry. <laughs> So then, then we're talking about intimacy. And this is where Zen goes a little bit further uh, than this example that Rupert gave. So then it's saying like each floorboard, each mote of dust, each bird song, each sigh, each tear that someone cries is this body and mind of awareness is you. And this is the play of form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. Each being, thought, feeling, emotion, color, sound, animal, plant, blade of grass is fully manifesting in awareness, as awareness, as you, and also fully as itself. A unique expression of this unified field of being, a tender manifestation of the one bright mind. Completely you as awareness and completely itself, simultaneously. And the floor has a different lived experience, expression and function than the ceiling or the chipmunk or the person next to you. Each are vitally important in and of themselves. So we have habitually identified with this dream figure, this dream ego, the one who's sitting here right now with their hands placed in the particular way that our hands are placed, with the thoughts, the body, the feeling, the story of this particular being. The koans in the Zen tradition are designed to help free us from this habit of identification with this being, these thoughts. This habit of imagining ourselves as separate and everyone else is separate. Separate from the web of life that sustains us, separate from awakened awareness. For those of you who are familiar with dream work, in many schools of dream work, there is the recognition that you aren't just the dream ego in the dream, where the dream is happening to you, but you are all the figures in the dream. And each figure is completely made of dream awareness, and each figure is autonomous. Often there are forces in the dream that we feel closer to or more familiar to us that we want to get to know. And there are forces in the dream that may be scary or really foreign, like just foreign to our habitual way of being. And often they're scary. So in dream work, we're invited to become all of the forces in the dream, the beings, the images, the landscape, everything that arises in awareness, 
is us. Like the dream ego is us, but so is everything else in the dream. Similar to right now, all is us. So say I had a dream where my brother did something that upset this force of evil in the world. And the force of evil sends a wolf to attack my brother. I intervene by grabbing the wolf's snout, looking it in the eye, and shaking it hard three times. After the third shake, the wolf is tame and sits by my side. What is unfamiliar in this dream for me is the force of evil. It is menacing and it's disembodied. It doesn't, it's just a shadowy figure. Also, the wolf is a very strong force in this dream. So if I were to treat this dream as a koan, as an opportunity to see the world through the eyes of the different forces in the dream, I would be invited or asked, well, what is it like to see the dream from this evil force? What did this force actually want? What does this force know that I, the dream ego, didn't know? And the same with the wolf and my brother and the landscape. The landscape was like this red earth. What is it like to be that red, dusty earth, to lay down as it, to entrust yourself as ground? So each dream image has its own wisdom and life. Each often reveals a piece of awakened life. Often something that the dreamer has not integrated or embraced often a way that they tend to separate in daily life. Like, I am like this, not like the evil force. So that appears in my dream as the shadowy, menacing thing. Each dream figure can be medicine for wholeness. So sometimes what is fierce or nightmarish in our dreams is a place that actually holds tremendous power that may be a force that the dreamer has disowned. I think of, if anyone's ever been to Japan, outside of most of the temples, there are these Dharma protectors and they're huge and they're often in cages and they're like fierce. They have giant fangs and weapons and they're, depicted to ward off delusion and ignorance, to startle us out of our slumbers. So similarly with menacing forces in our dreams, our nightmarish figures in our dreams, they can be there to wake us up or to help us integrate a certain kind of power that maybe we've um, abandoned in ourselves. So when I step into the menacing force in my dream, I actually feel it not as evil, but as a force of judgment, karma, cause and effect, reminding me that all actions have consequence. 
And I could feel the power of owning the consequences of my actions. So koan work is similar to dream work, except they are usually more directly archetypal in nature. There's something powerful about stepping into a koan, knowing that the Buddhist ancestors and practitioners have been using this technology of awakening for thousands of years. Koans also reveal pieces of awakened life and ask us to step into our awakened life, to become these pieces, all the parts, to see the universe that is dark. There's a koan that's darkness is the home from which you've come. See the universe as dark. To step into that darkness and see what happens. What gets startled in you. Or to be a mountain walking. Or a stone woman getting up to dance. So there are classic koans. And then our dreams can be used as koans. And then there are the koans of our dreamlike waking life. So everything can be koan, can be this entrance gate into the awakened life. So I shared a dream koan. I also want to share a classic koan and then explore what it's like to work with a koan of waking life. So here's the classic koan. This is the Blue Cliff Record case 39. Yun Men's Flowering Hedge, or Flowering Shrub. A student asked Yun Men, what is the true body of reality? Yun Men said, a flowering shrub. A flowering shrub. The student said, what is it like when one goes on in just such a way. Yunmen said, a golden-haired lion. A golden-haired lion. So we can approach the koan as we approach images in a dream. All these images arising in awareness, each with its own unique story, each inseparable from awareness. So you can dream into the questioner. That's usually what you do. You dream into the questioner, the teacher, the questions, and then the images. So often this is a pretty um, familiar dialogue where a student, the first question is like, what is the true nature of reality? And I often feel like, oh, they're super in their heads. They think it's something else. They're trying to test the the teacher. They read something really cool about awakened awareness. They listened to a Rupert Spira talk, and now they're like, I get it. (laughs) And the teacher's like, "Mm, look at this beautiful hedge. That's the true body of reality. Can't you see it? So he just like brings him back down. (laughs) But there's a lot of koans 
um, about the natural world. A lot of the koans were written pre-technology. <laughs> um, and about animals. And a lot actually about flowers. So, okay, student who's up in your head thinking about awareness, why don't you smell this flower? Or what happens when you look into this flower? Can you see through the eyes of the flower? Can you feel the delicacy of its petals? Can you let yourself be like a flower? Taste what it's like to live a flower's life. Or a whole flowering shrub. I think of the shrub, the camellia bush in, in Chosen's courtyard. So these invitations of the koans are an invitation to step outside of our thoughts and our fixed beliefs about whatever, wherever we get stuck. Some people get stuck in thinking about awakening. Some people get stuck in just the churning of their own thoughts. So what if you step inside the flower's world and those thoughts can still churn, but what does the flower think of those thoughts? What does the flower think of the true body of reality? Chazen Roshi, I think of Chazen Roshi when I think of koans a lot because she has some great invitations. And one of her invitations is, You've been imagining that you're a human being with such and such kind of suffering, and that doesn't seem to make you very happy. So why not let yourself imagine you're a, sh a flowering shrub or a camellia flower? What happens when you let the whole world be your true body of reality? And Yunmen says, a golden-haired lion. Da Hung Sunim, who is a teacher that we sometimes read here at the monastery, she has a book called, Like Lions Learning to Roar, referring to us on the path. A golden-haired lion. So there's another being, if we were to work on this koan, that you can practice getting to know, to sit with, to walk through your day as, who is this golden-haired lion? Do you see them when you look in the mirror? Do you feel, can you feel the power and presence of your lion body? The strength and courage of your lion self? The Bodhisattva of wisdom, Manjushri, rides on a lion. You can see one depiction of this lion uh, at the entrance where the seating chart is. And there's another one in the Kaisando, which is the room behind Onshin. Call it the ancestor's room. And in that one, the lion is so playful and a little nuts. And this one, the lion is very noble. So what kind of lion are you? What's the lion like inside of you? 
Can you allow it to come to life, to wake from its slumbers and show you something about the true body of reality? Dogen Zanji says, the way the self arrays itself is the shape of the entire world. Each being, each being, whether they're koan beings or dream beings, or the beings of our life, our waking dream, each being is a part of us, and each contains the entire world. So each of these beings can teach us something about ourselves, something that maybe we've disowned or let go of, or like, oh, what happens when I'm asked to be a lion? I get shy. Oh, that's interesting. So a way that we separate ourselves, like I'm not a lion. Soten's more a lion than me. (laughs) Or, so that's one way, one, one teaching from that practice. Another is that it shows us something about awakened nature. Each being, each manifestation of creation shows us something about awakened nature. So maybe the lion is nobility, maybe it's its playfulness. And then if we sit with an image from a koan or an image from a dream, or we sit with a flower in waking life, and really look into it and get intimate with it, we see that we share one awareness. So it takes us all the way into awakened awareness. So for some people, doing the Rupert Spira practice is like so fascinating. I wanna just turn myself into awareness and see everything manifesting in me as me. But for others, and this has been my path, is like looking deeply into something until the barriers dissolve and you see that you share one mind. And both, both are the way. I'm going to read again from Joan Sutherland. Because the dream of the world is made in part of matter, it is shaped by what matter and imagination can do together. Sometimes that is glorious, and sometimes it is horrifying. The dream of the world is fluid, but it isn't lawless. Gravity and what happens to a body that doesn't get enough food are real. All around us, we see the failures, the betrayals, the inexplicable acts of destruction when that collaboration goes wrong. It is, sometimes, an excruciating way to make a universe. Koans contribute a kind of radical empathy to our efforts to navigate this complicated dream. We experience our kinship with those who share the dream of this world by imagining our way into their bodies and lives. Koans can be fairly straightforward, introducing us to people in all kinds of situations, 
monastics, wanderers, people with small businesses, poets, warriors, mothers, government officials, people living under bridges, people who are brilliant, uncertain, brave, obnoxious, generous, stubborn, kind. Koans also put us in dreamlike situations. And then she quotes some uh, koans, standing at the bottom of a well, balancing on the tip of a needle, simultaneously living an active life and being sick in bed, hanging by our teeth from a tree branch. They ask us to do dreamlike things, make the mountain dance, dig up our ancestors' bones, pick up a stone from the bottom of the sea without getting our hands wet, blow an iron flute with no holes, swim down to a blue dragon's cave. Meanwhile, there's a buffalo leaving the room through the window, a carp swimming up a waterfall to become a dragon. All these koan characters and situations are treated equally. All are blessed. All are blessed, as Wu Men said. Each of our lives is part of this vast, multi-layered, mostly invisible and incredibly moving dream. That could be a little overwhelming. So the koans invite us to play with it to work with it, to recognize our kin everywhere, to develop the courage and the strength to stay open to the dream of the world so it can sustain us while we weave our own dream into it. So sometimes we're seduced by a particular image in a dream, whether it's a nighttime dream or a koan dream or a line from a chant dream or this waking dream. And this practice is a practice of intimacy, seeing and knowing beyond the words and stories, beyond narratives and fixed beliefs, What pulls at your heart wanting to be understood or seen by you? What is asking to be included, known, embraced? We meet each koan, each image, one at a time. The longer we stay with it, befriend it, devote our attention to it, the more intimate our understanding of its life, the more our tenderness towards this part of the dream can deepen. This is a practice of having tenderness towards existence. This is a practice of letting yourself be lived through, be touched by the universe. This is beginning to recognize that all life is shared life. This is the 10,000 dharmas rising up to awaken you. At the monastery a couple of years ago, during summer program, we did sitting like a mountain practice. And every morning, Chosen would remind us that we were sitting like a mountain. And one day she said, If you sit like a mountain, 
for that practice period, which was like less than 60 days, 45 days maybe, every day for the next 45 days, it will change you. It will change you. And all of the koans are like that, or dreams, or your waking life koans. So if you're seduced by the camellia bush, sit with it, sit as it, spend time with it. It will change you. If you let anything in, it will change you. Here's an example. This is it. Um, can't say if it's a true story. It's a good story. There's a wonderful Japanese story relating to this case of the oak tree in the garden. So this is another example of a student asks the teacher, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming to the West, which is basically what's the meaning of Zen and the teacher says an oak tree in the garden. So the practice is to sit as that oak tree. There's this wonderful Japanese story relating to this case that involves Shido Munan, though it's sometimes attributed to Hakuin, his famous grandson in the Dharma. Munan had collected a large sum of gold for the establishment of a monastery and was returning home on foot with the money. A bandit, skilled at detecting travelers carrying valuables, followed him to an inn where both put up for the night. When all was quiet, the bandit came to Munan Zenji's room and slipped open the sliding door. To his amazement, he didn't find a monk snoozing under his quilts, but an enormous oak tree rooted in the tatami mat pushing its branches against the ceiling and walls. Trembling and confused, he withdrew to his own room. Next day, as the two men set out again, the bandit approached Munan and said, I am a great bandit. <laughs> I know in one glance when someone has gold or jewels concealed on his person. I can steal such valuables without my victim feeling a thing. But last night I met my master. I found that you had disappeared and an oak tree was growing there instead. I realize that I am your inferior. I beg you to accept me as your disciple. Munan accepted him and the bandit went on to become a great monk. He knew true intimacy when he saw it. So perhaps you will become a lion. <laughs> there's, there's another story in the Tibetan tradition of a woman who just like fully believed she was a tiger, that people saw her as a tiger. I don't know, this is a really mysterious world and universe that we live in. Maybe all of you are ants and think you're humans and I just am perceiving you that way. <laughs> Sometimes we're fetched by an image and it's just begging us to, to let us let it in. Like the gray wolf in my dream has just keeps coming, keeps coming to me when I'm sitting. 
Or maybe for you, it's actually something inside of you. It's a, it's a sadness that's courting you, asking you to pay attention, or an anxiety, or a fear that finally you're settled and enough of the clutter is gone that you can be intimate with it. You can actually get to know it. Or maybe the dog outside the cafeteria who chose you to jump on is your koan for the week. Or that flower that breathed into your nose. Or the moss that winked on, at you during your walk. Or the twinning trees who told you their ancient troubles. Each being invites us to meet a particular part of the dream. Each being can reveal that they are so much more than the name that we give them or our initial reaction. Who is that camellia flower really? Can you see her beauty? Can you allow her in? Can you let a piece of her stay with you? Can you let her pierce the imagined barrier you set up between yourself and the world? Can you see the light of awareness shining through her? Or have you met the golden-haired lion that lives in the zendo floor? Have you patiently stared at him for hours until he returned your gaze? Look. Look. The magic of life is streaming through your senses. The whole world is knocking on your door. All is sacred. All is blessed. Who, who will you let in?